making disciples of Jesus, and we have seven commitments that are our guidelines for that. For this year, we've taken those seven commitments, we've condensed them down into three focus areas for our vision. That's Christ in you, about spiritual formation, you as an individual, Christ in others, which is about disciple-making, about evangelism, and Christ in families. And periodically, what we want to do as a church is to give you a resource and to equip you with people who are out there in the mission field and people who are out there gaining experience in disciple-making, in missions, in evangelism, and invite them here to share with us what God is doing, and maybe we can take something from some of these speakers and learn and apply it to our own context. So this morning, we've invited my good friend Chris Shelby to be with us. Chris works for the Missions Resource Network out of Dallas, but he didn't start there. Uh, Chris was a youth minister in Oklahoma, and then he became a youth minister at the League Street Church of Christ in Sulphur Springs, Texas for about seven years. And then Chris, his wife, and his family moved to Kigali, Rwanda to be missionaries, disciple makers there for about seven years. And now Chris is working for Missions Resource Network, and they are training missionaries, sending them out, and there's many other things that Chris does. He's leaving on Tuesday to go to the he calls it the Med Rim. Maybe he can explain more about what that is. But they're doing a lot of great work in the mission field. And Chris is here today to share some of those things with us, to share what God has placed on his heart, and to help us think about our own vision and how we can live out this Christ in others right here in Longview. Uh, Chris is special to me not just because he has a lot of experience and he has a lot to teach us, but I will tell you... Uh, one big life-changing moment for me, I shared this on my very first Sunday here, um, I, was, I was unsure with what I was going to do with my life and my career, and Chris came up to me and he said, I want you to be my intern when he was a youth minister. And I thought, well, let me pray about it because that sounds like the Christian thing to do. But really, in my heart, I knew I'm going to say yes to this because Chris is awesome and I'd like to work with him for a summer. And that summer changed my life. I had a lot of opportunities that I never would have had had I not been the intern. That's when I changed my degree to Bible, and the rest is history. But it started with this invitation from Chris saying, I want you to be my intern. And ever since then, I've kind of viewed Chris in this mentor role. And I've been so blessed uh, by his friendship and his mentorship that I want to share him with all of you as well. So I want to invite Chris up here right now. Let me say a prayer for him, and then I won't take up any more of his time. As he's walking up, I'll remind you, since about uh, 200 more people came in since the welcome, we are having our Bible communities for our all adult Bible communities in here today in the auditorium after worship. Chris will be leading us in that. And then for our elders, deacons, ministers... Um, connect group leaders, for those of you who responded to this, stick around for the training. He's going to do some extra training after Bible community in the fellowship room. So we got him loaded up today. He's got uh, probably about four hours worth of things to say, so we better pray for him. So I'll pray for him and pass it on. Let's pray. God, we're blessed to be here today. I thank you for everybody in this room. Lord, they are coming from all walks of life many different circumstances throughout their week this week and how they feel today, but Lord, we're here to worship you and to hear a word from you, from your word. 
And Lord, I pray that you will use Chris this morning to be that vessel, to be that voice, that mouthpiece, and that your Holy Spirit will guide him and the words that he says. And I pray that you be with us as we receive it, as we take it, and we think about Longview, the greater Longview area, and how we can be on mission here. So please, Father, speak through Chris and give him the gift of preaching and teaching this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It is a, a deep uh, honor for me to be able to be here with you today. And I want you to know that uh, I feel very welcomed um, by your kindness, by your smiles, by your handshakes. Uh, Jody, thank you for welcoming me. Um, you and Jess, I, I love you guys so much. I, I don't know quite how to say it enough uh, in front of everyone, but um, uh, Jody is a, a good friend to me. Uh, I feel like Jody has the, the real ability to uh, connect with other human beings, which is a really great gift. I feel like I can uh, be honest with Jody. I feel like I can tell him who I really am, and it's going to be okay. You are blessed to have Jody and Jessica with you. I know you know that. And it's an honor to get to meet some of their family today, so thank you for welcoming me. I want you to feel welcome here as well. There are a lot of spaces in our world where we don't feel welcome, where we're trying really hard uh, to make it, where we're trying really hard to be okay in the spaces where we find ourselves, whether it's at school, young people I know, and it's hard sometimes to, to feel welcome in the spaces where you move. At our jobs and at our work, we feel like there's sometimes things that push against us, and it's hard to find welcome there. Maybe even in our own families. Sometimes it is hard for us to find a space where we can be who we really are, who God created us to be and who we are becoming and to find space for that to be okay. This, out of all spaces, is a space that we gather together and you need to feel welcome today. So I, I, even though I don't really know you, I want you to know that I do love you and that I welcome you into the presence of God and into uh, the presence of Jesus, who is with us today. Uh, I did have the great privilege to spend time on the mission field it was seven of the best years of our lives. Um, my wife and I and a couple of our kids moved to Rwanda in 2008. Uh, Rwanda actually grabbed my heart back in 1994. I was the senior in high school. Uh, I s stayed home from school one day. Uh, I told my parents, I can't go to school. I am sick. I confess to you, my brothers and sisters, we're just going to get real with each other. That was a lie, okay? So we're just connecting on our vulnerabilities this morning, okay? That was a lie. I just didn't want to go to school. I was about a year from, I mean, a month from graduating, and I just couldn't make myself go to school, so I stayed home. It was April of 1994. I slept in like any good senior in high school will do. I went downstairs. I remember coming downstairs. The sun was shining through the back windows. It was a beautiful day. I was like, I'm so glad I'm not in school. 
I went and I sat down in my dad's blue recliner, you know, the velvety kind, you know, and uh, it, this is 1994, so, you know, it was ways back there. And so I put my feet up and I turned on the television. I was just going to kill some time. And I was flipping through and I stopped on the news, which was really odd because I didn't really care what was going on in the world that much. I really only cared about what was going on in my world. I was getting ready to graduate. I was going to go to Abilene Christian University. Uh, I was going to go play baseball there. I mean, my world was set, and that's all I really cared about. I stopped on the news, and they were telling about what was happening in a tiny little country in the middle of Africa. I'd never heard of it before. It was a country called Rwanda. In 1994, in a period of 100 days, one million people were murdered in Rwanda by their friends, by their neighbors, by their church leaders, by the authorities, because they were from the wrong tribe. And they began to describe what was taking place in Rwanda in that short little newscast, and it, it did something to me that day. I don't really know how to explain except that it was the Holy Spirit's conviction and I was cut to the heart, and I prayed that morning. I said, God, if you ever want me to go to Africa, if you ever want me to go to Rwanda, I'll go. I was 18 years old. It was a very naive prayer. A lot of things happened since that day. I went to college. I, I got married. I started working in youth ministry, working with churches, but Rwanda never left me. And finally, in 2006, around there, God began to say, it's time for you to go. And we made our way there in 2008. A couple of morals to that story. First, be careful what you pray because God is listening, okay? Uh, don't offer those things too tritely because our Father is ready to move you maybe into some places that you don't expect. And I like to tell this to young people too. Be careful about skipping school because God may send you to Africa, okay? <laughs> so the next morning, next time you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, I don't know if I can make it. Just if you don't want to go to Africa, get to biology, okay? But I loved Africa, I loved our time there, I loved what we got to do. Being on the mission field, I saw God do things, church, like God is still alive today, right? That's one of the things that, that we just have to keep reminding ourselves of because we see the kingdom of darkness push in against us and against who we are and against the things that we hold dear and it feels like overwhelming sometimes, right? But, but church, God is still alive, he's still working and moving and transforming people's lives all over the world. We celebrate that together today and we remind each other and we hold on to that because he who is in us is greater than he who is against us. And the kingdom is coming. I love being on the mission field. Mission field was one of the, the best experiences of my life. It's also very humbling. Uh, you basically start over as a human being. You don't know where to go. You don't know how to speak. You don't know anything. You start off like a toddler again, and it's very humbling. One of the things that we wanted to do when we moved to uh, Rwanda was to begin to connect with our neighbors, right? We went, wanted to go there to make disciples. And so we said, well, why don't we start an English club or English class in our neighborhood? There was a lot of people, a lot of the adults uh, whose uh, jobs were requiring them to learn English, and so it was a great way to reach out to our community. So we set up this English class, and we had some people coming. One of the ladies that came, her name was uh, Mama Wachu, is what we called her, Mama Wachu. And she came to class, and she was so diligent, and she practiced her English, and, you know, she was just learning the basics. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. You know, we had a little six-week course. 
She did great. At the end of the course, we had a graduation ceremony and we all took pictures and there's Mama Wachu, you know, holding her certificate and, and she was just so happy. Well, a few months passed and I hadn't seen Mama Wachu in a while. I was walking down the street with my wife, Jill, one of our Rwandan friends, and here comes Mama Wachu and she's so excited to see it. She gives us a big hug and she said, oh, it's so nice to see you. And then she begins to practice her English, right? She wanted us to know she hadn't forgotten. She's like, hi, how are you? I'm fine, good to see you. And she's just grinning, you know, and everything's going well. Well, about midway through that very, you know, uh, simple conversation, Mama Watcher begins to let on that she knows more English than I thought she knew because she looked at me after she stepped back and she said, you, you have reduced And I said, well, yeah, you know, I've been running a little bit, been watching what I eat. You know, she's smiling and she goes, because before, before you were like Papa Thomas. And I was like, what? Papa Thomas? I said, I, I don't understand what you're talking about, Mama Wachu. So just a side note, in Rwanda, it's customary to call children uh, or call parents by the names of their children. So I have three kids, Fred, Tess, and Cy. So I could be Papa Fred, Papa Tess, or Papa Cy. I don't have any kids named Thomas. She said, Papa Thomas, what are you talking about? She said, no, 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 you know, like the animal, Papa Thomas. <laughs> yeah. Mama Wachi was calling me a hippopotamus, everybody. Uh, life on the mission field, it was wonderful, but it was very humbling. But we'd go back tomorrow if God told us to go. Because I want to see the kingdom of God come among people who are desperate for it. But I think he could send me to Africa or he could send me to Longview and we could find the same people who are hungry for something different. I have a message for us this morning, and, and I offer this message in a lot of uh, vulnerability, a lot of, a lot of weakness today, church. It's a gift for me to be able to share this message because uh, it's been a really hard season in my life. For the last year, man, it feels like it's been one thing after another. Things at work, things with my family, particularly with one of my, my children. Um, it's been really hard. And I don't stand before you today in a lot of strength and a lot of wisdom and a lot of, I've got it figured out, let me go ahead and teach you how to do some things. I have a lot of weakness and this message that I'm gonna share is as much for me as it is for anybody today. Because I need, I need to remember. I need to remember. Disciple making can be intimidating. You know, we ask questions, do I know enough? What if I can't answer their questions when they ask me something? Uh, maybe they know what I've done wrong in my life. They know all the mess ups that I've got. There's no way that they would listen to me as a witness. Maybe another reason why we think that disciple making is for others is because we think it's the preacher's job. 
I don't know what may be intimidating about disciple making uh, for us today, but I wanted to start in a place that I think we need um, to be grounded in as we think about making disciples out there. First thing I wanna encourage us to remember today is to remember who you really are. Sometimes we forget. But I want you today to remember who you really are. There are a lot of voices telling you who they think you are. There's a lot of voices telling you what they think that you should do or what you should become or the way that you should look or the way that you should try to impress or the way that you should give yourself to something. But we are gathered together in a place because we need to remember who we really are. And I take great comfort in the fact that even Jesus needed to be reminded sometimes of who he was. You remember the the story of when Jesus was baptized? Remember he goes down into the water and he comes out and the Holy Spirit descends on him and said, looks like a dove. And then a voice from heaven speaks. And do you remember what God said? to his son, he said, you are my beloved son and you bring me great joy. And Jesus really needed to hear that in that moment because the spirit was about to take him out into the desert and he was gonna be you know, assaulted by the devil, right? They was gonna go through this temptation period and everything that Satan assaulted him with is like, are you really the son of God? If you're really the son of God and Satan's attacks always go straight to your identity. They always go straight to who God says that you are but who everybody else says, nah, you're not really that. Jesus needed to be reminded of who he was. Brothers and sisters, you need to be reminded of that too, and so do I. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Colossians chapter three. We're gonna read a couple of stories this morning. Colossians chapter three, verses one through four. I want you to listen to who you really are, okay? I want you to be able to surrender the buts that arise. Yeah, I, I am that but, right? Yeah, I, okay, that's true, but yeah, but you don't know about me. Please, for this time, for just these few minutes today, would you surrender those things that would keep you from accepting this as who you really are, okay? Would you just surrender those for me this morning? Would you just give them to God and let those buts go because they keep you from knowing who you really are? Colossians chapter three, verses one through four. I want you to listen to who you really are. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, you are raised. Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Did you see that about your life? What's your real life? 
your real life, who you really are, is caught up with Christ in the heavenly realms right now. You are not waiting to see if you're gonna get in. That has already been established. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. That is who you really are. You sit on the throne with Christ. Ephesians will say we are caught up with Christ in the heavenly realms and we are seated with him in the heavenly realms. You are seated with Christ. And it's like, how is that possible? I'm seated in a chair here in Longview. I don't know how to explain all the mysteries of that existence that we share with one another, but the truth is, is that you are seated with Christ. You are not separated from him anymore. And then we go to Luke chapter 15. Turn over there. Luke chapter 15. And I love this story because when God wanted to talk about what God is like, this is the story that he chose to tell. When Jesus wanted to describe what the Father is like, he said, I'm gonna tell you a story. And I love this because it's actually, in Luke chapter 15, the parable of the lost son, we'll start in verse 11, is the third story there, and in the NLT version that I, that I have here, it says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story, what's the point? There's some tax collectors and sinners that were hanging out with Jesus, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were mad about it. Jesus wanted to teach those people who were mad about him hanging out with people who were broken about what God is really like and who he thinks we really are. And he said to illustrate the point further, he told him this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living, right? We know this story. We've identified with this story. We've heard this story multiple times. We know it happens. The son goes away. He squanders all of his wealth. Basically, he was saying, I wish you're dead, Dad. I wish you were already dead so I could have your stuff. He takes it, and he squanders it. And then he's left with absolutely nothing. Watches the pigs feed, and he said, I wish I could eat what they're eating, which to Jews was detestable. But he, then he had an idea. He came to his senses, it said, and it said, there, in my father's house, there are hired servants who have plenty to eat. I'll go home, and I will say, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. But... If you'll let me in, I'll be one of your hired servants. And he turns his face towards home. In verse 20 is what gets me. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His father was looking for him. 
We saw him when he was a long way off. He didn't, he didn't run to him when his son had repented of everything that he had done. He, had, he, didn't, he didn't run to him and take care of him when, when the son had you know, lived several months proving that he wasn't gonna sin anymore. It wasn't up to the son to make the relationship right. It was up to the father and it was based on the father and who he was. You and I need to know that today. That our place in the kingdom is not determined by you and by me. It is determined by who the father is and who the father says that you are. That's already been established and that is extraordinary news for us today. Father is good, and the Father is kind, and the Father's looking for people who want to be with him. And the son starts in on his speech, and he says, I've, I've sinned against you and against heaven, and, and uh, I, I just want to be one of your hired servants, and he's, you know, playing out this speech that he's rehearsed, and the father's like, he's not even paying attention to it. He's like, quick, come, you know, get a robe and put it on him, and he puts a ring on his finger, and he reestablishes the fact that he knows who the son is. He said, you're not a servant, you're my son, and nothing's gonna change that. Church, I think we have too many people who are trying to negotiate with the father to just let me sneak in and be a hired servant. And we're not living into our sonship and our daughtership of the king. I see on some of your faces, yeah, I don't know, maybe. Maybe, I hope. Yeah, but, I see the buts kinda happening in your faces and I get it, because I wrestle with those too. But you need to remember who you are today. William Paul Young tells a story, and, and jo- Jody and I shared this story, and I think that he shared this with you uh, once, maybe last year, but I wanted to share it again because it's such a powerful story. William Paul Young was the author of the book, The Shack, and he was going to talk uh, in a prison to, a, in, to a, a group of ladies who were incarcerated there, and they were talking about, uh, in the book, he calls God, he calls him Papa, like this real intimate relationship, Right? And he's talking to these ladies about who Papa is and, and that, that he, he longs to be with them, that, that they're daughters of the king, they just don't realize it yet. And, and at the end of it, he's in this line and like all these ladies are coming and they're talking to him and finally one holds out to the very end and she walks up to him and she said, do you really think, do you really think that Papa is fond of me? We think, yeah, God is love, and yeah, that, that's good. It's kind of like he's the grandfather that has to love us, right? But is, That's a different question. Is Papa really fond of me? Is Papa really fond of you? Is God, if you don't want to call him Papa, that's fine, but is God really fond of you? Is there something in you that he sees that is worthy of something, of his love, that he doesn't love you just because he has to, but because he extraordinarily wants to? She asked the question that's on all of our hearts. Is Papa really fond of me? William Paul Young embraced her and he said, oh yes, Papa is fond of me. She melted, began to weep and just the years and the years of self-loathing, hatred over who she was and what she had become 
just poured out. And after a few minutes, she pulled away and she said, thank you. That's all I needed to know. That's all I needed to know. You need to know that today. You needed to know that. That's who you are. Because it is too easy to forget. I want to show you a, a clip here. This is from the movie Peter Pan. Hold on one second before you start it. This is from the movie Peter Pan. Robin Williams is uh, Peter Pan. He goes back to the real world, though, after some time, and he's in the real world, and he gets a job, and he gets a family, and he forgets who he is, right? He doesn't remember that he was Peter Pan, and Captain Hook comes into the present world, and he steals his kids, and he takes them back to Neverland, and Peter Pan has to go back to Neverland to find his children, okay? And so this is a clip of him going back to Neverland. Just like Peter Pan in that uh, clip needed to be reminded of who he was. Isn't that what you and I do for each other? Don't we need people in our lives to say, oh, there you are. Beloved of God, son and daughter of the king, with no buts, there you are, that's who you are. You are the beloved, your life is hidden with Christ in God, you needed to be reminded of that today. What does that have to do with disciple making? Brothers and sisters, you cannot give what you do not possess. We can talk about the mechanics of disciple making, we can talk about techniques and tools and we're going to do some of that together today. But this is rooted, the relational aspect of the gospel moves from one person to another who realizes what it means to be remade in the image of God. You can't give what you don't possess. You know, so often we, we feel like this is our experience with God, right? This is us out here and God is kind of, you know, well, maybe he kind of wants to be around me and maybe Jesus is the bridge there and we still stay connected somehow through Jesus, but I don't know if God really wants to be with me. But this is really, truly our experience. 
that in Christ, we are in Christ now. We're not close to Christ. We're not kind of around Christ. Brothers and sisters, you are in Christ. You and the Father and the Son and the Spirit, we are unified. We live in that place. That is who we are, and that is what we're calling the world to. That is what we're inviting the world to. This is not, yeah, just come and let him take care of your sins, and then you'll just kind of hang on until Jesus comes back. It's like, let me invite you to become who you were really supposed to be all along. Son and a daughter of the king who experiences God this way, intimately and personally united together. Remember, that's the Colossians passage. Our life is hidden with Christ in the heavenly realms. This is radically different than Jesus being the atoning sacrifice of our sin and God is still kind of mad at us for having to, have, having to do that. This is a radical reorientation of what it means to be a human being. We're almost done. I'm almost out of time here. The second encouragement, remember to create a culture of blessing where people can learn how to be human beings. What is the church? It is a group of people who are in Christ who are learning once again what it means to be human. See, Jesus, when he came, he didn't come just as divine. He came as divine and human. He came as someone who was going to experience the fullness of that. And one of the greatest works that Jesus did is he taught us how to be human beings. When God had us in mind, he had Jesus in mind. That's the way people talk. That's the way they think. That's the way that they treat outsiders. That's the way that they look at a people who are different than them. That's the way that they welcome other people. That's the way that they love and they bless and they're kind. If you want to know what it means to be a human, we look at Jesus. And the church, we create a culture of blessing where people can come and learn how to do that together. But too often, we lead with judgment because we're so, we realize we're so different and the first person that we judge most harshly is ourselves. We say, you're nothing like Jesus. You're blowing it. Why are you screwing up so much? Try harder. Go to more Bible studies do more, do more, become more. And the harshest person that we judge, or the harshest judge there is, is us about us. And then sometimes as a church, we may do that to other people. But if all spaces on the earth, it's a place to come and to learn how to navigate what it means to be a human being, this is the place. This is what we do together. And that's one of Jesus' greatest works, is that he taught us how to be human beings, and if disciple making is replicating the with God life, this church creates an environment or culture of blessing for people to continue their transformation. This will be a deeply transformative space. This space is meant to alter what the earth looks like. This space is meant to alter what the human experience looks like. The church offers the world an experience of humanity that the world cannot get on their own. And brothers and sisters, like our world 
like is, is dying. I mean, really dying. And I don't say that for guilt's sake, but I mean, they, our world is dying because they are experiencing so much pain and so much anger and so much frustration because they can't figure out how to be human. And they're trying to fill themselves with anything that the world has to offer that Satan's kind of woven into our experience. You know, drugs and alcohol and, and sex and, and TV and stuff. And he's just trying to get all of this stuff, you know, people distracted with it. That if you finally do this, if you get enough money, then you're going to know and experience the bliss of being a human. And it doesn't work and we know it. The church offers a way for a very different way to be a human being and it invites your community, right? It invites Longview. Come experience with us. We don't got it all figured out yet, but I am in Christ and I am completely different because of him. And come walk with me in that space and let's allow him to transform us together. That's the culture of blessing that we stand and are able to offer the world. And if all we offer the world is judgment, why in the world would the, would the church, would why in the world would the world ever want to come through those doors? Who wants to come and sit in judgment? Because I can provide enough judgment for myself. We offer a place of welcome and of radical hospitality. And the church, and, and I think God, church is like really interested in for you connecting with the people that is hardest for you to connect with. He's always been interested in that, right? Even the early church, Jews and Gentiles, you know, Samaritans, okay, what does that look like in our world? Perhaps Muslim people? People in the LGBTQ community? Maybe ourselves? Whoever it is that's hardest for us to connect with, God is most interested for the church to push into that space. Because those are the ones who need the most welcome. That's what we have to offer one another. If we're gonna talk about disciple making, we talk about remembering who we really are and we talk about creating a culture of blessing here and in the community. I got so much more to say, but I got no more time. And so we're gonna stop now, okay? We're gonna keep talking in the Bible class and we'll have some more time this afternoon uh, as we have lunch together. But church, I needed you to know today, God needed you to know today who you really are. And if you hear anything from me today, please know that you are the beloved, that judgment has been removed, that you can release the butts that keep you from living into your real existence, and that you can live the with God life. A lot of people out there needed to hear that. But before they can hear it, we need to hear it first. This church is ready to welcome you. This church is ready to pray with you. We're gonna stand and sing here in just a second. And uh, there are people in the, around the room that can pray with you. You can come down front if you'd like to prayers or if there's any other ways that we can help you, we invite you to come uh, while we stand and sing together.